get into part two of the Slow Wealth Podcast with Kendra and Ramon. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're just going to kind of do a quick recap of part one where we talked about getting an offer accepted. All right, folks, we're going to recap part one real quick. We talked about making an offer, making an acceptable offer, escalation clauses, and inspections. So just real quick, making that offer, basically getting it on paper. You want to get your offer out there first. Let's get it accepted. Now, making an acceptable offer, that's where you want to be a little bit more diligent about how you do your research so you don't get your offer denied because the seller doesn't have to accept it. Escalation clauses, that was a little tool that we told you guys to use so you're not going back and forth with the seller and you don't lose their interest. So basically, you know, you just want to make that offer, put in increments, and just let it escalate up to a certain amount. So it's kind of like an auction. Right. And I think we should, you know, give a synopsis of what an escal- exactly what an escalation clause is for those that may not have caught it the first time around. So escalation clause is basically, again, if you are buying a property, let's say for, let's say the property is listed at 250000 but you feel like, you know what, I don't want to give him that 250000 up front. I think I could probably get the property for a lower price. So you tell your agent, hey, put in an offer for two forty. But what I want you to do is put an escalation clause in the contract that states that our first original offer is $240,000. If it's not accepted at $240,000, if someone else comes in and make an offer, and let's say someone makes an offer for $245,000, you want to beat out the highest bid the highest offer by let's say a thousand dollars let's say you want to do increments of a thousand so if Kendrick come in and bid on the same property 245 then my escalation clause in my contract stipulates to go a thousand dollars higher than what you bid so it's going to go to 246 and if the seller is the type of seller that says hey whoever gives me the highest offer that's what I'm taking then I would get that deal. And it keeps you from having to put an offer for 240 The seller may not respond, or they may respond, and he may counter-offer you uh, 249 And then you say, okay, well, I'm going to counter him 245 And then he might counter you again. He may not. But you may lose the seller's interest. He may not want to go back and forth. And if it's a seller's market, he won't do that. He'll just wait for somebody to come in with a better offer, and he'll just take that, and he may not respond to you. So the escalation clause is something I don't think a lot of people use, but it is a good tool for you to use, especially if you're in a, a, a seller's market where you may be in a bidding war. And you, what you'll do is you'll stipulate in the contract the highest price that you will pay. So if you make your first offer for 240000 and you're going to say, hey, I'm going to outbid anybody with the highest offer by $1,000, but I don't want you to make my offer over two fifty. That means you'll keep outbidding everyone $1,000, but you'll cap it at $250,000. So if somebody comes in to make an offer for $251,000, then you'll lose, that, you'll lose that deal. Yeah, and according to Realtor.com, sellers prefer the method of 
escalation clauses because it motivates buyers to outbid one another on the first try. Um, and it also streamlines the contract paperwork and the decision-making process. So you are making it, you the buyer, are making it a lot easier for the seller to make a decision. Yes, ma'am. So that is a lot easier. So everybody use utilize that tool. Um, you know, there might be some realtors out there who never use escalation clause. So it might be a surprise to them if you if you say, hey, I want to put this in the contract. Um, but use it right. Don't. <laughs> Make sure you put it in that contract how much because you don't want to end up paying $20,000 because that escalation clause kept kicking in. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Make sure you're telling them and you put it in the contract how much in increments you want to outbid the highest bidder. And I think it would be a really good tool for you guys to use that may get you that deal. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we also spoke about in the first podcast was addendums. Um, again, addendums are added to the contract. Um, and you want to discuss the type of addendums that we had added to our contract for our Auburn property. Yeah, we, uh, I think one of the main addendums that we did use uh, was to extend our inspection period. Um, and I can't remember if we used it on that property or if it was another uh, property that we put an offer in on, but we, we didn't get it. But um, if you need to extend your inspection period, so let's say you go through your first inspection period, you know, Inspector comes out, inspects the property, plumbing, electrical, foundation, everything. And let's say he notices something with your plumbing. Let's say, you know, let's say this seems like there's a, a backup somewhere. He may mention in, he may mention that into the report that you may want to get a, a plumbing professional to inspect your sewer line. Now, at that point, you may, let's say, only have a day left in your inspection period. Well, the chances of you getting a plumber out there in time and then get the report back, look over the report and make the decision, you're going to need more time. So in the um, it's in your contract, you can ask your realtor to put an addendum to uh, extend the contract in your inspection period. So you may say, hey, we need five more days. And sometimes the seller won't want you to do that. And if they say no, then you have every right to back out, get your earnest money, and go to the next deal. And that'll also probably be a red flag if the seller doesn't want you to inspect something. So uh, just keep that in mind. But, um, yeah, that pretty much the addendum, that's one That's one thing you can use the addendum for is to extend your inspection period. And also for financing, too. But it is, you know, um, one thing is um, contingent upon the other when you have contingencies and addendums. So you have to... Your agent has to know how to use them, but if you know if at any time during that sale process you feel as if your agent isn't, you know, knowledgeable about how to use the contingencies, as we um, mentioned before in addendums, it's probably time for a new agent. <laughs> yeah, you might wanna, <laughs> but you know what? That like, hey, like we always say, due diligence. Right. You have to do your due diligence on every part of this. You know, your real estate investing from, you know, not just the inspection, but who you're picking for your team. 
and your real estate agents, you know, or tight on escrow inspectors, you know, you want to make sure that you're picking the best of the best. So, you know, you got to you got to interview people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with all that said, we're going to get into the inspection um, because we mentioned um, the uh, formal inspection that we had with the inspector that we had chosen to go through our four units. And um, we also discussed him itemizing everything that was wrong with the property and how to use certain um, capital improvements as negotiating tools to um, decrease the price, uh, the sell price. But when one thing we did not talk about on the last podcast is our informal visual inspection. And we did a visual inspection after we gave our escrow money. Ernest, sorry, I said escrow money. I meant earnest money. Earnest money, there you go. Excuse me. (laughs) After we gave our earnest money, we did a visual inspection of the four unit. Um, And that's where Ramon and I uh, just went in each unit and visually inspected uh, things. And and that also gave us the opportunity to, to see how our tenants lived um, in some aspects, mm-hmm. <laughs> because again, you don't want to, you know, totally judge how people live because you're looking more or less at the structure of their home, um, making sure there's no holes in the walls, there's no leaks. And, you know, um, that also gave us the opportunity to ask, you know, some questions, um, you know, just for our own knowledge, as far as, um, them, um, how long they had lived there and, what they thought, you know, of mm-hmm. uh, the current, their current um, management, because it was, at that time, it was managed, they had a property manager, the sellers did, they had property management, um, which was in a different city um, in the Washington State area. Uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, so, you know what, now that I think about it, though, we, we expected that unit a few times. Because yeah, we did. That's that's why I kind of drifted out because I was thinking I was like, "Ooh, we did it." So sometimes we actually inspected it like about probably about three, four times. Three or four times. Sometimes, depending yeah. on your market, <clears throat> you know, I think we mentioned it before, but sometimes, um, you know, when you're looking for properties and you're looking on the market, sometimes the property may have a vacant unit, um, and other times it won't have a vacant unit. But sometimes you'll you'll be able to see or go view one of those units even before you make an offer. Uh, It just depends on the seller. Um, So in our case... um, A lot of the sellers at that time were requiring that you give up earnest money before you see, you know, the property. You have to have an accepted offer and then, you know, give up earnest money. And then you could see, you know, the what the um, property looked like and um, giving up, you know, that would give you the opportunity to go through each unit to see again the structure of each unit, making sure the plumbing was sufficient and um, electrical, and there's no holes in the wall, and just kind of giving you the opportunity to speak to each tenant. In some cases, there were some that um, some other properties that we viewed, we didn't have to put any earnest money down. We were just able to. Yeah, normal circumstances, a owner would not let you view the property on the inside. 
pretty much even come on the property. Like you're not supposed to even like walk on the property, talk to tenants without putting a, uh, a, an offer, a contractual offer on that property. Yeah, you don't so, want to disturb those tenants. Yeah, you don't want to disturb the tenants. So most times if you're just out there looking at property, just, you know, drive by. Um, if you feel the need to get out your car, you know, do it at a distance. So, again, so you're not disturbing the tenants. Um, so, you know, but most, like she said, most occasions you need to have an accepted offer before you can go and actually view the property. Um, but there are instances where you can, you know, view a, a vacant unit. And uh, sometimes you can call the listing agent up or have your agent call them and say, hey, is it possible to, uh, you know, see one of the units on the inside? And some sellers will let you. Um, so that will be one time that you will get to see the unit. And then if you make your offer, you have two days to put up your earnest money. Now, once you get an offer accepted, you can then go in and do another visual inspection. But... You really don't want to um, inconvenience the tenants a lot. So once you get the offer accepted, I would say view the next time you should view the inside of the units is when the inspector comes. Because to look at it before you make an offer, make an offer and then look at it again, and then come back again with the inspector, and then they have to, you know, the FHA inspector come. Like, that's a lot of time. So um, just come back when the inspector comes. So then you can see the inside of every unit, ask questions, and, you know, a lot of times the tenants are there. You can see the tenants. You can ask them questions and really get a feel for whatever's going on. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, the tenants will let you know, <laughs> too, when you do these visual inspections, if they've been inconvenienced. Because remember, our favorite tenant was letting us know, hey, I don't get up past I don't get up before, yeah, before this noon. time, so please don't inconvenience uh, me. And, you know, we just had to kindly tell them, <laughs> hey, we're buying this property and we have a key, so we're coming in whether you're here or not. And in a lot of cases, I think I think a couple times, yes, the tenant locked the door mm -hmm. um, or wouldn't let us in. So, you know, sometimes that's an issue. But there, there's, there's certain – some people will have in their lease – where the tenant will get, um, you know, a fine mm -hmm. or something to where, you know, if, if I'm selling a property and you're not letting people in to look at your unit, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna give you a fee for that. Yeah, and the tenants are given proper notice, you know, mm -hmm. 24, 48 hours prior. Um, I think Washington, they only need 24 hours. Yeah, 24 hours mm -hmm. prior to the um, inspection. So they're given notice. But a lot of times, you know, People are usually have something to hide. That's what we found. You know, they have something to hide. That I mean, somebody's yeah. living there that's not supposed to be. Or you know, they it's got a pet that they ain't supposed mm, to have. True. You know, something that's not listed on that lease, and they're trying to hide it. So that's a lot of times why they're, you know, like, oh, you inconvenience in my whole life. You know, it's just like, okay, it won't even be an hour. And and that's another thing too. When you do these visual inspections, you don't want it to be too long because. You know, you don't want to interrupt anybody's life. I mean, you're already coming in there. You know, you're a stranger viewing this person's home. You don't want to interrupt their life, take, you know, hours at a time, not with the informal visual inspection. Now, the inspector will do that. And people, were, people are more receptive to that, it seemed to me. Uh -huh. Excuse me, that the tenants were more receptive to him coming in and, you know, he was really 
you know, moving things around mm-hmm. and, you know, looking for leaks and stuff like that. They didn't mind that. But when you just walking through and you looking up and down and, you know, you checking under the sink. Well, you know, that's because you, you, you know, ain't got the tool belt on. You, so. You're a new potential owner. Yeah. So they're, they're really trying to size you up and they're really trying to figure out, okay, am I going to have to leave? You right. Know? And then a lot of course, a lot of times they'll ask you like, so, because uh, actually the tenants that we moved mm-hmm. out, it was like, so, um, are you guys going to be buying this? And we're like, oh, you know, we're, we're just, we're looking. And he's like, okay, so so would you live here or are you just buying it as an investment? So they're trying to figure out because they know if you live there. Somebody's got to leave. Somebody has to leave. So, um, and if your case, you know, if you guys are using FHA um, or conventional, you know, if you're doing an owner-occupied loan, which means you're living on site, then that's a real good time to kind of figure out which unit you want to live in. And, you know, I know some people don't want to hear this, but I always look at the worst unit. And I, and, and we'll say, hey, that's if that tenant is, is on a month-to-month lease, then that's the one we're going to live in. And, and as long as they're not paying the, the most rent. Right. Um, but that's probably <laughs> going to be the, the, the unit that we live in because we can then go in there and kind of rehab the unit while we live there. You want to save the best units for the tenants your potential tenants uh, or tenants that's already there so you can get that income coming into the property. Exactly. You don't want to take the best for yourself. That's not the name of the game. This is real estate investing. You need income, cash flow. Don't take it from yourself. Right. Exactly. Oh, man, exactly. I couldn't have said it better. Now, that inspection, um, as you said before, it gave us the opportunity to see whom uh, would be moving out or who. I said whom. Who would be moving out uh, at uh. that time? Um, oh, well, let me let me give a disclaimer. If anybody out there is uh, cat lovers, yes, don't get offended. Please don't get offended. We are animal lovers, dog lovers, <laughs> but it is something about the felines. I mean, when they urinate, yeah, it is strong. It is strong and it is lasting. It is pungent. It is hard to get rid of that odor. Any carpet cleaner, maid service, anyone will tell you that for some reason. And when you have a cat and they pee in the house, it's so hard to get rid of that smell. I mean, it took us quite a while. Well, the longer it sits, the harder it is to get out. And unfortunately for these tenants, well, unfortunately for us, these tenants, um, I think I don't. I, I almost feel like they didn't even allow the cat to go outside to use the bathroom. Most people don't. <laughs> you know, they use it in the yeah, they the use, little yeah. litter box or whatever. Mm-hmm. But see, they had a cat and a dog. It wasn't the fact that they had a cat and a dog. It's that they were dirty and had a cat and a dog. So they did not clean up. And um, we inspected the unit and <laughs> we walked through the bathroom. It was like they left the cat in there and he just went ham. Like he scratched up everything. <laughs> like, <the cat laughs> like he was, was clawing his yeah, way out that yeah. room. And he was trying to get out that bathroom so everything was scratched up. The wood on the sink, the door. Like I almost I almost wanted to let him out because I was like, dude, like, <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <Poor> <laughs> like he's been held hostage, you know. So, uh, But yeah, like she said, they had a big old dog too in the kennel in the bedroom. Um, so, I mean, if you guys just kind of imagine, this is the thing that, you know, when you guys, when we talk about you owner occupying and living on site, 
don't let this scare you because I know some people probably hear this and say, oh, man, I, heck no, I wouldn't live in no nothing like that. I wouldn't. I'm about to take the nicest unit. If you want to stay in this, you know, you think about real estate investing, you have to do the things that people don't usually want to do. And, you know, the reason why it works is because everybody doesn't want to do this. Everybody doesn't want to buy a property to live in uh, next to their tenants because you know what you're going to have to deal with. You know what you're going to see. You know, everybody doesn't want to have to move. You know, you might have a, a nice two, three bedroom unit right now with a pool, you know, in a complex. You, you know, you you next to all the restaurants and all that good stuff. And you may have to buy a property that's a ways away from that. And now you have to move into a unit that may be a bedroom less than what you're living in right now. But you have to look at it that right now you're paying rent. So that money, you'll never get that money back. That's going into the pockets of the owner. That's not going into an escrow account to use towards your next purchase of a property or your home. Like, you'll never get that money back. So, you know, when you, you know, when we tell you guys about this, you have to be in the investor's mindset that, listen, we're just going to go in here. We're going to get this property. We're going to live on site. We only have to live there by FHA guidelines on the occupied guidelines. 12 months one year 365 days and you're gonna fix up that unit anyway yeah of course. so if the unit we will get into how the unit looked um later on because we 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 have a podcast for that but um the unit wasn't they weren't clean they didn't live clean i mean they had dishes piled they weren't as nasty as that first lady on cedar but they they just you know they were young and there was stuff everywhere and they had animals. Um, but the inspection phase, you know, these is all the things that you're right. looking at. You're taking into account. You're letting it sink in. Okay, this is where we're gonna live, and why. And what know? do we need to repair? What do you need to repair? Because then to make you, it you know mm-hmm. to make it livable to your standards. Because remember, you'll be living there, and a lot of times what happens is when you get ready to rent that unit out. And you say, you know what, the owner lived mm-hmm. on this, you know, in this unit. People will be like, oh, okay, because they know the owner isn't going to trash their own unit. Mm-hmm. You're going to take care of that unit. We had new carpet, paint. Um, we had a lot of things fixed in that unit. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, fixed the bathroom that the cat um, clawed, clawed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we got a new patio door, like new windows. We, yeah, did, new we patio did a few doors, things windows, all kinds of to stuff. our unit specifically, like you said, you know, and... After that year is done, when you guys go on to the next thing, like you said, that unit, your unit that you live in, it'll be easier to rent out to because, like you said, it's going to be the, probably one of the nicest units because you're the owner. You know, like she said, you're not going to trash your own your own unit. You know, that's your property. Um, so, you know, you're going to take care of it. Um, but, you know, again, when you're going through the inspection, these are all the things that you're thinking about, you're taking into account, you're taking notes on. Um Take a pen and paper, notepad, when you go to the inspection. Because even though you're going to get the inspection report from the inspector, you also want to take your own notes to help you to help remind you of what everything that you saw. Yes, any inspection that you go, you want to make sure that you're taking notes, whether it's the informal, where it's just you, the buyer, and maybe your agent. Or when you go on the formal inspection, when you go with the inspector of your choosing, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you are 
you know, you're ready to take notes, ask questions. I know our inspector was like, yeah, cause this, you asked a lot of questions. I asked a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know everything he was doing because I had to relate the message. You know, mm-hmm. something like with the water heater, I kept getting mixed up. But <laughs> um, I asked a lot of questions and take pictures. Mm-hmm. Oh, take yeah. pictures. If the tenants are there, I did ask, is it, a, I'm, I won't take pictures of you, you know, I won't take pictures of the, you know, of the people, but is it okay if I take pictures of this? You know, I was asking the tenants if it was okay. And I'll tell you what did help us, um, I think on that property, while we were doing the inspection, you'll probably remember this to, to know which property this was. Mm-hmm. But while we were doing the inspection, like she said, you're taking notes, but you're also taking pictures. Because what may happen is, let's say later down the line, that tenant goes to move out. And let's say, because some owners, they don't keep good records. Right. And when we say good records, a lot of times, some of these owners don't do a move-in sheet um, or a move-out. And move-in meaning you fixed up the unit, you're about to move someone in, you took pictures, you noted everything that you did in the, in the unit, and you're basically telling the tenant, hey... This is how the, the unit looks. There's new paint, new carpet, whatever. This is how you know it should look when you move out. Some owners don't do that. And so when you take over the property as a new owner, if you don't have a move-in sheet, you don't know how that property, that unit looked before you bought it. So the tenant can say, hey, this is how it looked when I moved in. But what happened is we took pictures on one of the units. Oh, yes. And the tenant said, no. I didn't do this, did it? And we had to go back and show them, like, no, listen, when we bought the property on this day, we took this picture. That and was, in the that picture, was the Auburn property because it was the last unit. I'm not going to say the tenant's yeah, name, yeah. but it was the last unit. She tried, to, she tried to pull one on us, and we had to go back in our little records. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, look, we showed the picture. Like, listen, when we did the inspection a year ago, this is what you had. So even though we don't have a moving sheet, we got a, we got a picture that's time stamp, date stamp. Showing what you know you're saying, it's not it's not showing the same thing. Yeah. So and we took video mm-hmm. too. Um, we went. I had an iPad. I was taking video. I was taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And she said she was taking notes, writing down each unit, things we saw, things about the tenant. You know, just to kind of remind you about the tenant. Um, anything that you can think of, just write it down because it it'll help you. Um, you know, if you do go forward and buy that property. Um, and, you know, all just really just taking good notes for inspection. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just, you know, if you have any questions about, you know, the inspection process, you definitely want to speak to your your uh, realtor. Well, I hope they the first point of contact. They should know. <laughs> <laughs> if they yeah. like, well, I don't you you better you better get your money back. You definitely want to speak <laughs> to your realtor. And, you know, talk to the inspector, too, because when they give you that report, it is itemized. And there's some things on there that although you went through the inspection with them, you may be, you know, it may be unclear or you may question, okay, well, I didn't know what a fascia was or fascia Mm -hmm. or whatever. I didn't know what that was. So I had to ask, you know, I was asking a lot of questions and the inspector was so patient. He was so patient with me. And I remember our agent him standing outside and he was texting and he was like, you know, I was like, what should I be doing? You know, when the inspector was like going through the, um, 
the addict. Uh-huh. I had already taken my notes and did the little thing that you mentioned where you flush the toilet uh-huh. and run the water at the same time. And uh-huh. the agent was like, you should be in. He was like, go in there, go in there. He was like, uh-uh. He was like, take pictures of everything. So that's what, you know, that's what I was doing because, you know, I was taking pictures, but I was taking pictures of the things that I saw the inspector doing. I was going right behind him. But then, you know, I was like, you know what? I should be, we're buying this. You know, Mm -hmm. I should be in there making sure, you know, if I taken a thousand pictures um, from top to bottom, from the bottom of the floor to the ceiling, just to make sure that, you know, if anything ever comes up, I can say, oh, nope, that hole was not there in that wall. We have a picture. I mean, you have to be, it has to be that meticulous that you're, you're inspecting that unit, whether or not you're going to live there. You want to make sure that every little detail is noted. And don't forget, again, you paid for it. So <laughs> get your right. money worth. Don't. Don't be afraid to ask that inspector questions. You're paying him to inspect your property, and it's coming out of your pocket. So ask him questions. Even when you get the report back, like you said, if you don't understand something, you can call them up and say, hey, what did you mean by this in this report? You know, or explain this to me. You know, um, be there. Take notes. Ask questions. Be thorough. I mean, treat it like it's yours because... It's, that's it's, potentially hopefully what, it's gonna be you, you, know? you know what i mean that that's that's the that's that's the goal is to get that property so right. these are things that you do now you know we probably have mentioned i'll say it again um or if i haven't said it already you know when you're going to uh get you know put properties on a, on a contract you're going to spend money and you're going to spend money you know things like inspections where you get the the, the first inspecting inspection uh, where he's uh, inspecting the roof, the plumbing, electrical, all that stuff. And then you may have to have another inspector come out to inspect uh, maybe the foundation, structure engineer report, uh, or the sewer line. Um, and I know these things can add up, but don't let that um, discourage. discourage you from going further, going forward with the property, because you might be thinking, oh, man, I'm already spending $1,000 Twelve, you know, twelve hundred dollars. But you know, the good thing about it is, if you don't go through with that property, let's say the inspection report comes back and it's too many negative items with the with the property, and you're like, hey, I don't want to spend the money, I don't want to buy this five hundred thousand dollar property. You can write that stuff off. The inspections, you can write that off because that was the cost of doing business. And even if you do go and get the property, you still can write it off. Um, so you know, there's very good perks. With even you didn't even have to buy the property, just <laughs> looking for a property. Right. You can write some. You can write all that stuff off. Right. So. And it sounds like we're beating a dead horse, but we can't stress some of these um, facts enough because of the things that we've gone through with the with um, purchasing properties. We we haven't mentioned you know everything, but we try to highlight the things that you know are most important to the um, procurement of the sale. So with that said, we're gonna go into- The counter offers? Counter offers. Is that correct? Is that correct? Right. All right. We're going into the counter offers. So um, with the counter offers, it's, it's kind of, for me, 
it was kind of hard for me to wrap around, wrap my mind around going back and forth because sometimes it seemed like some sellers wanted, were okay. You know, they had the time. It was like, oh, I, I got time for this. Well, you know, they, <laughs> right, I got time today. So they wanted to go back and forth and it was like, no, we made this offer, you know, and, and this is what our offer is. And they were doing that because they were trying to get closer to the listed price, uh-huh. like uh, the um, the property with the sex offender uh-huh. yeah. in Tacoma. Uh-huh. We were the best offer. And uh-huh. they basically kind of countered, I guess, in their own way. Um, but with counter offers, but now let's, let's say... Ramon, would you suggest okay, yes. the continuous back and forth uh-huh. or a compromise where s- someone feels like they're losing? So, uh, let me get to that. Let me say first that, you know, with the counter offers, this is going to be more specifically after you've already got the property under contract and you're already in the inspection phase, uh, where you may have to come into a second uh, situation of counter offers is when you get that inspection report back. And if you find something on that inspection report that is a capital improvement, um, i.e. the roof um, looks like, you know, it only got a year or two left. Um, HVAC look like they're about to go out. Um, plumbing, they may have some leaks in the plumbing or something like that, something major. This is when you can now bring the seller back to the table and say, hey, listen. I know we was, you know, we got a contract and we're supposed to be paying you three hundred thousand for this property, but you need a new roof, and your HVAC is about to go out. So now you can go in there and say, okay, listen, uh, I did a little research and I seen that the roof was going to cost, you know, ten thousand to replace. The HVAC is going to be five thousand. So instead of three hundred thousand, uh, you know, let's renegotiate to two eighty five. And now the seller, if you're lucky, may say, oh, okay, cool. I, I understand. 285 But sometimes the sellers say, nah, uh, you know, they may say, no, uh, I ain't dropping the price. They say, hell no. You know, this uh, you is as me. is. <laughs> right, this is as is. And, and also, just because that contract says as is, that does not mean that you cannot negotiate any repairs on that property. And as is, what is when a, when a seller puts uh, their property on on the market and they said uh, five hundred thousand dollars as is, what is, what does that what does that mean? Well, if you're looking at it for some people, it might mean oh they don't they won't negotiate anything. Basically, what it's saying is you're getting the house. This is the house as it is right now. And However, mm-hmm. there are you know you can have those addendums uh-huh. and contingencies. And special instructions and stuff like that. Um, you know, just depending on how the contract is written out and your purchase and sell agreement, you always want to make sure that if you see something there that needs to be repaired, tell the seller, especially if it's a if it's a major you know, a major purchase in addition to you purchasing the home. If it's a roof or a foundation or you gotta you know, restructure the plumbing because of the foundation or you got to restructure, um, you know, wiring, you know, because a kid in the other unit touched the electrical socket and they got shocked or something, you know, just electrocuted (laughs) or anything, you know, 
you want to make sure that you negotiate um, and, and do a counter offer with that seller because you know you you have to pay for that you you have to pay for this and, and when you do pay for them once you procure the sale and the, the property is yours but prior to the property being yours make sure any repairs that you get you get a warranty with that yeah so you know again as is usually if you see that on a property that's listed when they say as is that usually means that they don't want to do any repairs um, they're saying look just take the property as is and it's priced as is if you ever see that wording priced as is meaning uh, if they had fixed the property up it may be worth five hundred thousand, but because the property is not fixed up and they know it needs repairs they're only asking four hundred twenty thousand. so they're saying it's priced as is so you come in and do the repairs but i'm pricing it um taking taking into account the repairs that's needed um, and like she said, when you're doing these counter offers and, you know, you you know, these negotiations, if the seller does agree to fix anything prior to you closing, you have to make sure that that is in writing. Don't ever do anything verbal. I don't know if we ever said that. Don't ever. <laughs> no, I did not say that. Ever, 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 ever do anything in verbal. And that's with your, <laughs> your realtor, title, escrow, seller, inspect, don't do Anything, anything verbal, nothing. have them put that in writing. Even if it's just an email, say, hey, listen. And a lot of times I'll do is, even if I do speak to someone, something about something verbally, I'll email them reiterating what we said so they can get that, I can get that confirmation yes, absolutely. on paper because I'm telling you, people will tell you something and that thing will change. Or they, they will renege. just, yeah, they'll renege, <laughs> you know, you know space, they renege on you and, you know, You'll be you'll be you'll be SOL. So get everything in writing. Um, so you know when you're making these counter offers, like I said, um, you're gonna do your first. You know, you might have your first counter offer when you're actually going to get the property, right? You submit that offer. You may do a couple, you know, back and forth with the seller. But once you get it on the contract, you're gonna go straight into that inspection phase. Now, when you get your inspection done, you get your report back. You're going through that report. And you're not looking for the small stuff. You're looking for the big ticket items. And that's what you want to negotiate with the seller. Now, you may go in there and say, hey, can you take $10,000 off the price? Or one other tool or, or other method you could do is say, you know what? We won't lower the price, but we want you to put $15,000 into escrow at closing. And we'll use that to go ahead and fix the roof, fix the HVAC or whatever. So some sellers is okay with that. Now, the only caveat to doing that is that now, if, you, if you're doing your negotiating with the inspection and you tell the seller, hey, we, we're under contract for $300,000, we, we won't ask you to lower the sales price. We know that it's going to be about $15,000 in repair. We won't ask you to lower the sales price. What we will do is increase the sales price to 315,000 but you'll give us 15,000 back in escrow and we'll take an escrow will give you a check for 15,000 after you close you go and fix the roof or whatever you want to do take a vacation I wouldn't suggest that <laughs> but you know use that money to fix the property right because that's what it was for but the only caveat to that is that now because you added the the money that you're using for repairs onto the sale price 
the property now has to come back at the appraised higher price. So that's a good method to use because sometimes the seller don't want to drop the sales price, but they're okay with you increasing the sale price and then giving you the difference back at closing. But now you just that the price the property has to now be appraised at three hundred fifteen thousand. So if it comes appraised at three hundred thousand, and you're still looking at the seller like, hey, well I still need that fifteen thousand. Now you might be negotiating again because he might say, hey, well. Uh, I don't want to drop the sales price. And now you have to decide, do I go on with the sale of the house, with the property, or do I back out because he won't give me money for repairs? So there's a, there's a lot of aspects to that. Um, but, you know, there, there's ways to do it. You know, you can, um, you know, again, you can see if the seller will fix it. We will usually ask the seller to fix those items. But we know nine times out of ten, he, he's not going to do it. We'll say, hey, you know, your roof like is leaking. It, it might need to be fixed in the next year. Could you fix that? A lot of times the seller will say, no, I won't fix that. But what I will do is I'll take 10000 off the sales price. And, you know, we might say, okay, cool, we'll, we'll take that. Or we might say, no, don't take it off the sales price. Just give us that after closing and we'll fix it. We might find somebody to fix it for less than 10000 And then we got a little bit more money in the pocket to use for something else. So, no. Yeah, um, you just want to make sure, as I, as I said before, um, I don't know that compromising is ever good in this, you know, in the negotiation part. Why you say that? The reason why I'm saying that is because someone always feels like they're losing. And if you don't feel right about something, the seller is going to be like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to take this backup offer. This is too much. And then the buyer is going to be very reluctant. And they're always going to, you know, they're always going to feel like, you know what? This wasn't the right, this wasn't the right purchase for me. The compromising part is hard. It has, to me, it has to be a situation where everybody is winning. Well, the way to alleviate that, in my opinion, is you want to communicate a lot of things up front. So um, you don't want to do it as much before you get on the contract because you don't want to lose the seller's interest. You don't want to spook him or, you know, make him feel like, ah, that buyer is going to be a lot of trouble. Wait till you get on the contract. Yeah, and then be a lot of Then tell your, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, then be like, ah, I got you. But then, you know, tell your realtor, hey, listen, let the seller's agent know that, look, um, you know, and you, you might want to kind of do a little bit small talk, but, you know, really when that inspection comes back, say, hey, listen, you got a lot of stuff going on here. Um, let the real, let your, you know, let your agent, let the seller's agent know that, hey, listen, you need a lot of repairs. Um, we're thinking about asking you to, you know, take something off the sales price or put some money in escrow for us, you know. And you kind of let the seller fill fill you out and kind of decide, you know, how he, you know, what he's thinking. You'll know who you're dealing with when you get the response back because you might be dealing with a seller who's like, "Listen, you told me you give me three hundred thousand. That's what the contract says. I told you this property was as is, which means I ain't fixing nothing. So that's it. Huh? And he'll call you bluff. Yes, he will. And with that said, let's get into the mill race situation. That we had where an owner was uh, very 
very pig-headed oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, lowering yeah. the price. $8,000 after being under contract for almost a month. And it was over a month. It was over 30 days. Oh, yeah. It was over 30 days. Yeah, it was over 30 days because we had to extend it because we had to have a structural engineer come out. That that situation was very unique. And uh, (laughs) not only did it surprise us, our agent, and our agent, it surprised the hell out of the listing agent too, because she was, she was pissed. Everybody, everybody uh, was upset. <laughs> and and the the uh, seller, he was just he was just a butthole. So we we we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tell the story real quick, real quick, real quick. So you know, just kind of goes and ties into what we're saying. And you know, we we have we have man, we have so many stories. It's crazy, and they all of them are funny. Um, but there's lessons in all these stories. Um, which is why we like to tell them. So, you know, it's really a lesson in the story. It doesn't yes, mean you're going to go through The lesson is don't do that sh- again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for us, it's, uh, it's definitely a lesson for us. Trust me. But it's, you know, that's what makes life so good and so ways because you can just, you know, even if the situation is bad, there's always a lesson in it, right? So we got this property. Uh, it was a duplex in Austin. Got it under contract. And what we did not realize about moving to Texas, we had we never experienced this, was foundation problems. So everywhere, we, everywhere, all so, over the city. No matter what part of the city you live in, when when we mentioned the foundation, oh my God, we can't find anything. Everything has foundation issues. People were like, oh okay, just like they were so are, trivial. Just like they are about uh, these flying cockroaches. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, everybody got yeah, them now. Everybody mm-hmm. has them. What, when, what's when the, what's the problem? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not cool. <laughs> but, you know, it, we found out that um, they said most houses east of I-35 have foundation problems. So it it's, it's so widespread, like she said, that everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this foundation problem. We're like, whoa, hold up. What do you mean? So this property, we didn't notice it at first. But if you stood outside on the street and you looked at it, you can tell it was leaning to the left a little bit. Um, but we didn't really realize how bad it was until we had the inspection. So we went to inspect one side of the unit, side A. And what the inspector did is he had a roll of tape, and he set the tape in the middle of the living room floor. Now, if your house is level, the tape is just going to sit there. Well, this tape rolled all the way to, to another wall. And I'm just looking, you know, we're looking like, okay, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, you never seen that like that's that. That's not supposed to happen, you know. <laughs> and so, like, you go into the kitchen, and there were certain parts of the house, when you walked, you could kind of feel your feet uneven while you're walking. And you're like, okay, this is, this is crazy. Um, and on both sides, you know, both units was like that, and there was separation from the ceiling and the wall you can see the actual separation that the house you know is is shifting so that was obviously a big problem for us you know but we became comfortable with it because everyone said there's issues all over the city 
almost probably all over the state. I don't know if you can say we became comfortable. Well, we comfortable enough that we we still went with the deal. We yes, were still trying to get did. it because people was like, yeah, you know what? You can get someone to come out and fix the foundation because that's not just this property. This is all over. And everybody is still living in these places. So, you know, it's like. And it's that, not that expensive. It, yeah, it wasn't that expensive. Not like so, it would be if we were in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went through an inspection. There was some, the property did need some work. The owner, they didn't really fix too much, you know. They, they, it needed some work. But uh, the biggest thing was this foundation. So when we did the inspection report, you know, we, we used the same inspector we had before. And, you know, he said, hey, listen, um, you might want to get someone to come out and check the foundation. Like, just to see how bad it really is. And, uh, you know, those inspectors are called structural engineers. They come out and do, uh, 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 basically give you a report on the structure of the, the foundation of the house. And there's different types. Someone will use a laser, uh, 3D of the whole unit, um, or some just come out, you know, and eyeball it, or however they do it. Um, but, you know, gave us uh, an inspection report. And he basically said it can be fixed, you know, and it can be fixed under 10000 but now the only other issue that kind of made me feel funny was even if you fix the foundation, when they lift the house, it could throw other things out of whack, like the plumbing, which was an issue that we had another property, uh, I think prior to that, that had another foundation issue. And we, it was like every property, every we, property we looked at, it was this foundation issue. Inquired so, about, put option money down, earnest money on. They all had the same issue. All of them. And so but this one that we were actually, that we're speaking of the mill race property. It wasn't as bad as the other ones. Yeah, it wasn't as bad. And it sat on a hill mm-hmm. too. It so I guess that kind of helped. A little on the incline. So, and it wasn't, it, I hate, it wasn't as bad as the other ones. Like I said, it was not as bad, but we said, okay, you know what? What we'll do is we'll negotiate that with the seller. We'll get him to give us some money back to fix his foundation because, you know, hey, we don't want to pay for something that's going to fall in, you know, to a, a big old crater or something, you know. <laughs> well, one of the wake tenants, up to that. Uh, her uh, dishwasher, yeah, it was her dishwasher. Remember, uh, it was like flooded. I had never seen water sitting like that before. Yeah, it just sat in the dishwasher. To, she had to change the tile on her floor. She did it herself, too. I remember mm-hmm. her saying that. But, you know, both sides. Both and she sides. had a... The roof um, had a leak in it. Yeah. There was a hole in the ceiling on her side. They had repaired it, though. So, like, this owner didn't really take, you know, good care. So, we kind of was seeing the value add. We was like, okay, you know what? We got him on a contract, I believe, for uh, three, 368. I mean, sorry, 268, I believe it was. 265. 265. We had kind of went back and forth with this guy because he really wanted 275. That's how much it was listed for. But the funny thing was that there was other properties on the same street, just alike, that had sold for two fifty. The highest one sold for maybe two fifty two. So he's asking for two seventy five, but his comps, the comparables, were only at the highest two fifty two. So right there, he's like, okay, this guy's asking way too much. So we kind of felt like, okay, there's some room to negotiate, because the ones that sold for two fifty two, they were in much better shape than his. So we're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's going to have to come down off that price, but we're going to get him on the contract, do this inspection, 
and see what's what. So we did inspection, came back, you know, pretty much everything we, we thought was on that inspection report. And we started negotiating, hey, you know, you need this, 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 and this. And, you know, it's probably going to cost and us And these were major capital improvements. Major. These, these the, weren't little things. Roofing, um, um, the HVAC was pretty old, wasn't taken care of uh, on both sides. Um, the foundation. Um, there was a couple other little things, but those are the main things. And <laughs> funny enough, the owner didn't want to give us anything. He didn't want to take no money off the price. Matter of fact, actually, he did. He he offered to take, uh, I think it was... Two thousand. Two thousand. Two thousand. We said, bro, you, you you tripping. You must be crazy. So uh we kind of was going back and forth on that. So then finally he wanted to see the inspection report. Now mind you, we pay for the inspection report, we pay for the structural engineer report. So off the bat right there, I think that was about a thousand dollars that we paid. Now you don't have to give the seller the inspection report when they ask for it, right? Because you paid for it. But as a courtesy, you can't. And now, if you're going to ask the seller to either repair something or give you money off the price, as a courtesy, you can give that inspection report to them. You know, kind of just saying, listen, I'm not lying to you. Here's the proof so you can see it. And he got the inspection report. I think it took him a few days to respond. Um, a few? Yeah, a few days. No, it and, took a week. Yeah, it took a little bit. He um, He came back. And I think he wanted to increase the price. I think he wanted to increase the price, but give us something back, a credit back at closing. It, it was really crazy, but he he didn't want to budge from the 265. For some reason, this guy did not want to budge out that 265. And we steady, you know, kept telling him, listen, your property is still $13,000 higher than the highest property that sold on the same street. Yeah, and, and mind you, the properties that had sold on that same street or in the same vicinity, those had been rehabbed. They were nicer. Yeah, much they were nicer. much nicer. A lot of those had been rehabbed on both sides of the unit. So um, I, I think the plus with his was his unit was bigger. His units were bigger. There were three bedrooms on one side and two bedrooms on another side. Yeah, two bathrooms. Yeah. Both of them had two bathrooms. So that was definitely a plus with his unit. That that was kind of the advantage that he had over the other units or the other um, properties. But the other properties were definitely um, in better condition because they had, you know, uh, updated kitchens and bathrooms and stuff like that. Because there were a lot of properties that had been sold in that area. Yeah, and it was, we it, was, it was an area that looked like they were doing some developing. Uh, they are working on the highway, so it would be a lot of congestion, but you could see that area um, gradually um, becoming one of the up-and-coming areas. So that was a little bit more incentive for us to say, you know, okay, let's just go through and try to get this deal. But again, the owner, he was an out-of-state investor, California, um, later found out that he was actually a realtor, too. Um, and... This guy didn't want to budge. So we kind of kept going back and forth with this guy. Really, it was just our agent talking to his agent. And it was just like getting, going nowhere. He didn't want to budge. And we're like, look, we're not going to buy this property, give you more than what is you know what I think is worth. And and there's some things that need to be fixed. So we we settled on, uh, I think, 265. I think we stayed at 265. 
So what I was telling the kids, you know what? This guy's playing hardball, but we got a, a, a ace in the hole. And that ace in the hole is called what? We're getting money back. No, it's called appraisal. Oh, yeah. That's our ace yes. in the hole. And, you know, I hope you guys are listening. Listen up. Especially when you got FHA. FHA is like they don't even see it coming. They did see it coming when they signed a contract. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they don't see it coming on this. So I told kids, I said, you know what? He's playing hard. Let's go and give him what he wants. Just keep it at 265 and let's go to the next step. And that's called the appraisal phase, right? So what happened is did the appraisal. And I kept, for some reason, I had the number in my head. Um, I think it was 260. I was like, I think this this thing is going to come back at 260. Even though in the condition that it is, my, like you said, I think being a little bit bigger than the other units, mm-hmm. um, I think it might come back at 260. Well, it came back at 260. And so we're like, oh, this is, uh, well, I guess at that point, 5,000 less than what mm-hmm. he he was asking. And, but at this point, we still like, well, he still need to give us some money back at, at closing because he ain't taking care of this property. Um, yeah, we're not going to buy it like that. So <laughs> this is what he said. Well, let me tell you this first. Because the property did not come back at the purchase price that you're under contract for, if you're using an FHA loan, it stipulates in the contract under financing, if the buyer is using a FHA VA loan, government-backed loan, that loan will not be funded if it's under the uh, the purchase price, if the appraisal comes in under the purchase price. So at that point, there's three options. The seller can say, okay, I'll drop the price of this property to the appraised price. Or you can say, well, you know what? We don't want to buy it. We're not going to pay you two sixty five for it. It's only worth two sixty. We're going to buy, we're going to drop out. Get your earnest money back and keep it moving. Or if you really want the property, you just pay the difference out of your own pocket. FHA will allow you to do that. Now, why would you do that? I don't know. If you do do it, don't come calling us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna talk about you. So, uh, so in this case, this guy didn't want to drop the price. We said, look, well, we ain't, we're not about to pay you an extra $5,000. Your property ain't worth that. And you need some work. So you know what? Go ahead and uh, have our agent. We'll send a, we'll sign the form, which is basically just an addendum to say, hey, we're going to exercise our appraisal contingency right. Go back to a couple podcasts and listen to what we talked to you about. Contingency. Contingencies. Appraisal contingency. Which is really built into FHA. But like I said before, I had them put that joker in that contract anyway. So we exercise that. You sign the form, the addendum. That gets sent to the seller. The seller also signs it. That gets sent to title and escrow. So now title and escrow can now release your earnest money back to you. But it has to be signed on both sides. So what happened is I think it was a Thursday. We signed it because at this point, the deal is done. He doesn't want to drop the price, and we're not going to pay him extra. We signed it. He didn't sign it. The listener said, yeah, he said he's going to sign today. Okay. Thursday went by. Friday went by. 
Saturday, Sunday went by. Monday. Monday came. He told his agent he did not want to give us earnest money back because he needed to do some research. Some research. And I said, what research? Unless you're researching how to send the money back. You right. Need to be, you going to walk know. it from California to Texas? Listen, I thought I was going to make Because he was trip. set tripping. Yeah, he was really tripping. And, and folks, look, man, I hope y'all is listening because I'm telling you, if you don't do stuff right, you got sellers out there that is that they they know what to do to keep your money, and you'll get caught slipping and you'll be mad. But that'll just be the price you pay for this lesson. So, I knew he couldn't keep our earnest money, but he made me second guess myself for a second. Yeah, I, I'll be and Ramon went to a real estate forum. We won't say and what. Listed the question. Well, hey, can I get my earnest money back? Under these circumstances, I'm not wording it verbatim of what Ramon had written. And people that answered his question were agents. And they said, oh, no, you've lost your earnest money. And it's like, well, wait a minute. These people are agents. Some of them were real estate agents. Some of them were property managers. Some of them, a lot of them were uh, A lot of them were real estate agents. A lot of them were. were so unaware of uh, the qualifications and um, contracts by HUD mm-hmm. and if it, you know which is FHA USD loans USDA loans and VA yeah. loans. It was it was just mind boggling how these people acquired their license their license because the information that they were giving that they were giving us at that time. I mean, because, you know, our agent, she was under the same, you know, um, assumption that we were. I don't, well, it wasn't an assumption. This is what was supposed to happen. We were, you know, we we're getting our money back. So everybody, you know, assumed, hey, he's giving the money back. He's just taking his time because he wants to do a little research. Let's Let's be nice and give him a couple of days. But then when we went to this forum and the comments that were coming from People who work in the real estate industry were like, well, no, you, you've lost your money because X, Y, Z. And it's like, wait a minute, you idiot. Um, you can't. All right, this is this is a government loan. So so really what was happening was um, and like I, said, I think we had over 200 some comments on this. On this yeah, one it was post. like it was you, crazy. It was yeah, entertaining. All kind of badges. <laughs> yeah. <about> this question. <laughs> It was very entertaining, you know, and I shouldn't have let the guy second guess me, but it was more of like, he hit us with that little curveball, like, oh yeah, you know, um, I'm trying to research something. And like, oh, what, what are you? So now I'm like, oh, well, let me, let me go check because maybe there's something I didn't admit, I didn't see in this contract we signed or something I don't know. But I mean, I read that contract, I don't know, about 20 times and I, I, I mean, I looked now, at it. Let me it, tell I, y'all, he know the the contract, the purchase and sell. When we say contract, we mean the purchase and sell agreement. He knows every section. Yeah, yeah, of, I, know, I know that thing. Because he read, he studied it like it, it's the Bible. And you him. have to, and, and I'm telling you, it, it really comes in handy because you have to know what you're signing. And a lot of times, one or both sides don't know what you guys are signing. You're just signing a contract. And like I said, under that financing um, um, contingency paragraph, it states, you know, USDA, FA, FHA, VA loan that's government backed. They cannot keep your earnest money 
uh, when, the, when, the, when the appraisal comes in low. You are entitled to have your earnest money given back to you. Um, he, when he said he was doing research, that's what he was researching. He was trying to see, could he keep our earnest money? Because like we said, we had already been on the contract over 30 days. So his property has been on the, off the market over 30 days. And now it's done. The deal is killed because he doesn't want to drop the price of his property. He doesn't want to negotiate with us. Well, actually, he it wasn't just 5000 It would have been 8000 total that he didn't want to drop the price. Mm-hmm. Well, even still. I who, mean, that's nothing. I mean, it ain't like his property was sitting on a, uh, on some oil. Yeah, I mean, oil he, reserves, a mineral reserves. I think something. he thought his property was was worth a lot more, and he, you know, like again, he's out of state, so he, he has a property manager. So I don't know what the what the deal was, what she was telling him, or what she wasn't telling him. But the whole thing was that we were getting advice on this form from people who are saying that they're they've been agents for this amount of years, a property manager, and they're telling me, hey. Uh, you owe him that earnest money. That's his because you agreed to pay him a certain amount of money in a contract. And, you know, that's it. You lost it. And I'm and I kept telling people, I kept telling people, hey, this is what it says in the contract that we signed that because we're using the FHA loan, he cannot keep it. And they said, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, you know, long story short. He ended up giving us that money back because... But it, it took so long for it took, us to it get took that money minute. back. Yeah, it Normally, it does not take that long if a seller, um, you know, decides that, hey, you know, this this property came in appraised under what, you know, I'm willing to, you know, sell it for. Normally, they give the money back immediately and they just move on to the next person. Well, what happened with this gentleman? This oh, yeah, idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to call him an idiot because he really is. So we end up having it. You know, we got our money back, right? We got to earn his money back. We signed a form. He signed a form. Uh, reluctantly, he didn't want to. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to. He, <laughs> he didn't, didn't want to sign. sign. I mean, we waited like when he was like, yeah, I'll give the money back. But um, I don't think I. What did he tell um, his agent to tell our agent? I don't want to. I don't think I should have to give the money back. And it didn't matter. I mean, yeah. the contract you signed it, it clearly states there that, you know, you got a low appraisal. That's done. Whatever. Right. So we said, oh, okay, cool. Give us the money back. We got to earn this money back. I went back on the form. I ain't trying to be petty, but I just want to let people know, hey, 99% of y'all was wrong. Uh, I got our money back. Why? Because it stated in the contract this. Some people, you know, they stuck to their guns. Well, you know, if that would have been me, I'd have got a lawyer and made sure I kept your earnest money. And yeah, whatever, you're retarded. You would do so, all that for five thousand dollars. Well, That's it, it doesn't matter. You're gonna spend money to lose it because the contract, <laughs> <laughs> the contract says you can't. <laughs> you came wow. in with a low appraisal, idiot. So mm-hmm. anyway, the, the the real stupid part was this. Well, he probably didn't know too, and you know, this is when a, a good agent comes in. And when I say a good agent, a seller's agent, because his property, because we're using FHA, because he had a HUD appraisal, because he backed out, he did not want to drop the price of that property. So we backed out. The deal was done. That appraisal of his property now stays on that property for six months. It was a HUD appraisal. Only with a HUD appraisal does it do that. 
So that means that if he was to have put it back on the market at 275, which was his original price, everyone would know that it's not worth 275, it's worth 260. 260. So everyone, everyone. FHA or or conventional. That that have been, you know, everybody that have been public information basically. So he didn't put it back on the market. I'm I'm pretty sure he probably found that out. Um and so you know, you got to think if he did put it back on the market, everybody's going to look and say, "Okay, dang, that probably been off the market over a month and now it's back." Why is it back? Well, guess what else? We did a structural engineering report on that foundation. That stays on the property. So everybody knows that you got problems with your foundation. Forever. Everybody knows it. Forever. And the FHA appraisal checklist clearly states the foundation must be structurally sound. Uh, boom. <laughs> Man, hey, see now if it's agent... I don't know if she said it, but you know, if I'm your agent, I'm telling you, look, before you try to back out of this this property, mm-hmm. let me let me tell you a couple of things. This appraisal is gonna stay on your property and that structural engineering report. So you're gonna have a hard time trying to sell this property to somebody else. For the asking for price. For the asking price. Um, unless you fix it yourself, or the next time you if you do sell this property, it's gonna be somebody that's gonna come in here and offer you cash and they probably only gonna give you two hundred. So, you know. I personally, hey, that's his property. He does what he wants, but I don't think it, I don't think he did that smart. I don't think he was smart about that. So no, he wasn't, and that's why we didn't buy it. Yeah, we didn't sell it. So. <laughs> but um, yeah, we don't want to go beating a dead horse with. I don't think we did. I mean, listen, it, with, I don't even you look know at counter how, offers. I don't look at that. We can never, ever, ever, ever discuss. I don't, I don't I don't know that we could ever stop discussing how important it is to be diligent. I mean, you are going to hear us say due diligence a lot. That is going to be the slow wealth vocabulary. That's the word of every day. Mm-hmm. But really we want to diligent. We, we want to arm you or not just the vocabulary, but we want to arm you with the knowledge that when you do go into this deal, everybody you come in contact with is gonna feel like oh no! I'm not just saying just the word due diligence. I'm I'm talking about the action. No, that's what I'm saying. We want to also arm you with the knowledge. Yes, absolutely. so that you are knowing what you're getting into, and you and you kind of have a, a a knowledge about how this operates. Uh, so people, when you deal with people and your agent and everybody else, they're gonna feel like oh, this person knows a little something, right? And you know, you may be they may be less likely to try to take advantage of you. Or give you misinformation. You can you can come back to the podcast and say, uh-uh. They said that you ain't supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And hey, we'll tell you. We ain't going to lie. You, you know what I'm saying? Hit us up. I'll tell you for sure. We'll let you know. Because, you know, we, we you know, fortunately, we had a mentor. Um, and I did a lot of reading. We made a lot of mistakes. We went through, you know, a lot of stuff. And, you know, you learn these things. So, um, you know, the podcast, sometimes it be long. It might, it might seem like it's dragged out. But there's information all throughout this. You just got to, you know, just catch it, write it down, remember it, record it. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> write a it picture, yeah. take a book. Hey. Uh, I said write a picture, take a picture, write a book. <laughs> hey, for real, because <laughs> these, these are things that you probably will go through. You probably going to experience a few of these things and don't come back to them. Man, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, you should have listened. Yeah, so. you definitely got to, you got to do your own research too, because it's, 
every situation is different in real estate there is this is not a cookie cutter industry so what we've gone through you may never ever experience in your life you may experience something new to us but that does not mean that there's not a remedy to that situation there's a remedy to every situation possible you just have to make sure that you have the right tools um that are available to you and you know that you're speaking to the right people and you're asking the right questions because sometimes you don't even know what to ask but if you're speaking to a knowledgeable competent agent they'll be able to answer your questions that you're thinking and if you're an agent and you listen to this don't get offended just step your game up because yeah, to be honest we hear it all the time. It wasn't even just us. Like, we was hearing this from people who've been, you know, investing in real estate for years where they're like, man, two of the hardest people to find in, in real estate that are good are real estate agents, you know, brokers. No, contractors. Oh, yes. Oh, my because God. Because you're, yes, you're going to find yes. people that's, you know, we ain't even got to contractors yet. I mean, my God. But. <laughs> Those are the two people like that is going to be very hard for you to find someone good. Like you're probably going to go through a few. So you know, again, if you're an agent, don't don't get offended. You know, just step your game up. You know, learn these things because, you know, it is it's not easy, but it's easy to get your real estate license. And right. just because you know, I can you know everybody got a driver's license. Does that mean everybody know how to drive? No. No. So you know, there's a lot of people out here that is licensed. But they're not knowledgeable. There's a difference. That's what I'm saying. You know, people be, I got 20 years experience and it's like. And you got one year of knowledge. And one year of knowledge. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who are not licensed or certified, but they got hella knowledge. They know what they know what's going speaking on. To one, or one of them is speaking right now. Man, listen. You know what I'm saying? I ain't <laughs> certified. Not yet. But I'm we know certified. some stuff. You know what I'm saying? We know, we know, we know a few things, you know. So, you know, just listen up, you know, and, and take heed to what we're saying. We ain't going to lie to you. No, we have no reason to because trust me, we, if pretty much if you can think of it, we've experienced it. We've experienced all types of things. Just, just being a buyer and a seller, mm. you know, of real estate. It is so mind-boggling the level of incompetency when it comes to agents and contractors you know you're expecting these people to give you a superior service because they don't make any money if you don't if, you know if you don't pay them they don't make any money and one thing real quick you know we're gonna we're gonna get up out of here in a minute but there's one thing i just thought about it that you know people might be asking that question well, what happens if the appraisal comes in over the price that you are under contract for? Well, if it comes in over, you can you can pay the difference. I, I mean, no, 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 no. I'm saying if you're under contract for three hundred thousand, uh-huh. and the appraiser comes back and says, "Oh no, this is probably worth three hundred twenty thousand." Oh, you got some equity. Now, what if I'm the seller? I'm like, hey, oh. You can't do that. Why not? What you mean? Why not? You can't do that. It's under contract for the for the. For the listed price, you can't come back and say, you know what? Because this property is worth three hundred and twenty thousand, I want to, I I want to sell it now for three hundred and twenty thousand. No, you can't do that. So that's as like, a seller. So, I, so I'm I'm basically just giving you twenty thousand dollars in equity. Yeah, you are. 
Too bad. You should have had it appraised before you put it on the market. Mm. Wow. So, hey, I hope, you know, if somebody did have that question, because I know we talked about it coming in low, if it comes in high, meaning over what you're paying for it, you just bought a property with equity. And that's when we talk about buying a property right, because that's right. what you want to do. You want to talk with your your agent. We're going to mention agent a lot, because your agent is really beneficial. I, we can't stress that enough. But your agent, even if you're looking at a property that looks like crap, your agent should tell you, hey, listen, you know what? It don't look like much, but if you put a little work into it, it's, it's going to be worth this much. So, you know, if you can buy it right, you can buy it at a discount, knowing that the after repair value is going to be higher. The ARV. The ARV. Then, hey, like she said, you can be buying that property with equity. You know, we hey, we just bought a property with uh, about $115,000 <laughs> in equity. <laughs> and this, oh, oh, yo, this buyer was, oh, or this buyer, this even, seller hey. That's that's about eight podcasts, right? When we, we say it's eight podcasts, we we were we dealing lying. with some real. I think we're gonna have to have two glasses of Hennessy, uh, support wine, support wine, <laughs> <laughs> uh, vodka shots. I mean, uh, that, yo, listen, it was that, crazy. That's our first commercial property, but uh, we bought it right, uh, and honestly, we didn't even know it was gonna have that much equity, but. Me doing a lot of research and everything, I knew what it could be worth. So and and, um, and we bought it with equity in the condition yeah, that it's in. It was, Some of the yeah. units aren't weren't even in livable condition, and people were living there, y'all. Yeah, it was about nine vacancies, so nine units that was vacant, and all of them need work. All of them, including the ones that's not vacant. Right. Um, but we'll we'll talk about that deal because we still in it. You know, well, mm-hmm. it, it, we're not under contract. We bought it already, but we're rehab. We're in the process of rehabbing and putting tenants in it. But, you know, you if you can do it right, if you do your research, you can get deals like that. You know, so, uh, man, listen, we can talk for days, <laughs> but I think we've done enough. We gave you guys about making an offer, how to make that acceptable offer, making a counter offer know how to negotiate with them and appraisals and appraisals yeah. this is a part two this is the second part if you haven't listened to the first part go back and then listen to this again because right. you, you, you skipped and, over and through these podcasts you 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 have to understand we're having so much fun i mean because we had somebody do it for us and we know that there are people out there that they don't have in, you know, they don't know what to do. They they have this, you know, they might have this access to cash. Um, and don't know what to And do don't know it. what to do with it. Or, you know, they may say, you know what, I, I have this, this yearning that I'm supposed to be doing something else. And, and this is what I want to do. This is for, you know, this is for y'all. And, and if you hear it in our voices, I mean, we are genuinely just humbled that, you know, everyone is using us as their professional, you know, because we, in our minds, we are, we are, we are the professionals. We know exactly what it is that we went through that others may go through. So if at any time you have any questions about, you know, anything concerning real estate and how to maneuver through this industry, 
please hit us up at invest at slowwealth.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T at S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Um, or, you know, hit us up on Facebook, Slow Wealth. Um, Slow on Facebook. Wealth. And uh, oh, we're also on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Yes, Google Play. I think it's the same thing. Is it? Yeah, okay. just type it in. We did. All right. <laughs> we did. You know what I'm saying? We, we found it, yeah. But do you have anything else subscribe you want to add? Subscribe on all of those. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, if it's a bell, I don't know. Hit that too. Yeah, you know like, so, love, comment, review. Uh-huh. You know, do all that. Share this. Anybody Share. you know that you think will want to learn about real estate or have any kind of interest, own property, don't own property, you know, used to. Just send it to them, you know what I mean? Because we want to try to at least motivate somebody, if not you. Um, but hopefully we will motivate you. Each so. one, reach one, teach one. Did you say that last time? Yeah, yeah I right. did say okay. that before. Yeah. So is there anything you want to add before uh, we go, You know what? I think sir? we've been giving out so much game, and I enjoy it. Uh, and like I said, we had to put this into two parts because it would have been out. Because you know, we talked too damn much. Yeah, it had been almost a three-hour you know, podcast, but... Uh, I think that's good. I think we can leave it on that note. Hey, in that next podcast, we're going to take you into the final closing. Yes, the closing I know y'all like, damn. I know. all that? (laughs) Yes, it did. Because you know what? We could have just, you know, been on But so, you know what? This could have been a 20-part series. And when I say 20 parts, when we write out the show notes, and I'm like, dang, that happened during that time? Or we're going back looking at contracts and stuff? That's why it'd be so long. A lot we... has happened because we've had a lot of properties under contract before we got our first sale. And sometimes that happens. You you might, you know, you might have five, six on a mm-hmm. contract and then you get beat out or something on there. You, you know, the seller's being, you know, ornery. I said ornery. So it's being ornery, you know, and you don't want to work with you, you know. So you're like, all right, let me go. But you know what? As long as you get that one. You know, and you'll know when you get it. And, you know, we've been blessed and fortunate enough that, we, you know, we, we bought right. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, like I said, that next podcast, we're going to bring that out. That's going to be the closing. That's going to be the final, right? We took you from the, from from starting, you know, to the ending, the closing. So, you know, it'd be like basically seven part, seven, seven podcasts, you know, we, we didn't told you the seven steps. Right, how to get your first property, and believe it or not, that 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 next one might be a little long because there yeah. is a lot when you talk about closing inter international investors. <laughs> when you talk closing about closing, yeah. like there's a lot of things that you have to prepare for, you have to ask for, you have to watch out for. You you're emailing and contacting these people and make sure this is in place, and everybody's doing that your agent is doing the same thing your your loan officer is doing the same thing you know the underwriter is asking you for everything four times um getting on your nerves like this a lot so uh we're gonna put that in there we're gonna do that next and man i hope everybody you know have a good week and all right that's it on my end all right so let's let's just uh get get to it you know um Hey, man, I hope y'all have a good week. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Like I said, this again, this is part two. Yes. Listen to part one. This is part two. And Again, thank you so much for listening to the Slow Wealth Podcast with Kendra and Ramon. Please subscribe, leave comments, love us, like us. 
review our podcast. Share We're it. on Facebook. Share it. <laughs> uh, listen to us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks again, and we are out. We'll holla at you. Hey.